I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 75. Uh, anybody who listened to last week's episode knows that uh, that we're recording this mere moments afterwards. So uh, our energy. Li- so if you didn't like like our energy level or our, our dynamic last week, it's just going to be more of the same. So you can I'm just sorry. go home. That's Josh. Unless you're already home. Yeah, and in which, which case, just, go somewhere else. Then there's yeah. nowhere to go. That's you Reed. have nowhere to go. Yeah, that's Reed Lackey. He was here last week as well. So, Hi, guys. I've missed you. Welcome back. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Let's just let's jump right into it, because I don't want this episode to be too long, and by saying that, I guarantee it will be. So, um... Buckle up. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, uh, what was that? I was going to say, you already cut me off from going on a on a rabbit trail about Welcome Back, Cotter, because you said Welcome yeah, Back. Yeah, let's not do that. That's the first thing I thought of. Of course it is. Now that song's in my head. Yeah, me, yeah, me too. Welcome back. Okay. There it is. Yeah. So, okay. It's the Christmas season, everybody. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Jinx. Merry Christmas. Oh, now I owe you a Coke. That's true. And there, and you don't oh. want to go down to the 7-Eleven here. No. So, no. you'll get murdered. You will get murdered. Yeah. That would w- not be good for the rest of the Which is a shame, because there's a pizza hut right there, and that they oh. make delicious pizza. Man, so... Uh, okay. If you're not murdered. So what was that? If you're not murdered. If you're not murdered. If you manage to live through the murder, then the pizza's great. Pizza's always better alive. <laughs> Can yeah. you live through a murder? Yeah. Well, if you're the one murdering somebody, it's just like, hey, everybody, I made it. Maybe. Bit of a throwback to last week's episode. Watch out. Of, there oh, there go. it is. Can you live through a murder? The victim. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's uh, Christmas time, and uh, we don't traditionally do like a christmas episode um but a few uh i think i guess at this point like two years ago i don't remember anyway uh i did a a christmas episode and but that was about christmas movies in general and and uh i wanted to talk about one movie specifically that would be jingle all the way that's the one oh boy (laughs) sinbad what happened to him i don't know he did uh house guest right that was pretty funny Oh, it was right. funny when I was 13. It First might not be kid. funny now. First, First kid, kid, that's right, with yeah. Brian Bonsall. He also has a uh, small part in the Good Burger film. <laughs> Welcome wow. to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. May I take your order? Exactly. It's impossible for you to watch your own butt. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I haven't seen the film. <laughs> should, is that like? Is that like a more than one? Like, Should we devote an episode to that? I oh, I would so. love a more than one left okay. episode for good. If I Not saw that burger. come up, oh, it would be over. I'll I see would. if I'll. I'll see if I can do something. It, it might be able to be a companion film. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, All maybe right. maybe for With Margaret. There will be blood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we both picked good ones. So, uh, yeah, and I actually had the uh, the idea to do this when uh, it was going to be established that Reed was going to be on the show because the very first 
blog that he wrote for the website was about It's a Wonderful Life. Now, I want to specify a couple of things right off the bat. Number one, anytime I refer to this film, it is there is easily a 50-50 chance that I'm going to accidentally say it happened one night. <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. It happened one night. Like, comparable syllables. Frank Capra, they both start with it. Uh I'm sorry. So if I if I wind up doing that during the episode, I apologize. I know it's going to happen. So and maybe it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Maybe I, I'm being too self defeating, but I know it's going to happen. And, and I apologize if it bothers you. And I may refer to it as it's a mad, 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 mad world. And then our our, our Stephen King fan here will just oh, say yeah. it. It will just say it. Yeah. So in it, <laughs> there's a whole different clown in this one. George Bailey, the dancing clown. <laughs> Just, my oh, favorite part pedals they float they all float oh yes my favorite part is when it decides that he doesn't want to live anymore and he's going to jump <laughs> off the bridge and then Cujo's like stop <laughs> so this um, is a very bizarre movie that I want to see oh absolutely I uh, this is how most of our conversations off air go is we just create basically based on anything that comes into our head we just create a movie that doesn't exist but oh if only uh-huh. um so yeah uh I want to start off by saying, yes, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I've only seen it once and fairly recently. Uh, I did not watch it for a long time based on the assumption that I would see it at some point. It's that type of movie. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to go out of your way to see it. Uh, sooner or later, you will almost like, like you'll wake up and you're halfway through it. It's kind of like that don't call us, we'll call you sort exactly, of thing. Exactly, yes. Yeah. It, it will come, come It will you. call you. And so... Uh, so I don't have a crazy association with it, except that it is, you know, it's, I believe it was uh, for Jimmy Stewart's favorite film that he worked on. Yeah. Um, and Frank Capra's. And they Frank both Capra's. said that that, hmm. that was their favorite. And given the nature of the title, but also just, it is a, it is a beloved film for being, for being optimistic and that sort of thing. And it came to be associated with Christmas. Uh, but the weird thing is when I finally saw it and then I, I, I was on the Slash film cast, I think days after I saw it for the first time. And the response when I said that I had seen it, the response from the host was uh, something I had never heard about the film. But since then, I it's like when you when you uh, you know, you buy a new car and then you see that car everywhere. I heard the response and now it's everywhere to the point where now I hear this more than a, I hear this negative response to the film more than positive responses to the film when I talk about it online with people notably my own age, um, and that is uh, and we'll we'll go into more detail about it in a moment. But what I primarily want to address is people's complaint about the film that it promotes compromise and not the good kind of compromise that we say we want our politicians to do, but like. The kind of compromise where somebody, they want to do something and this this thing is going to make them happy, but then they opt not to do it to make somebody else happy and they are miserable. Hmm. And there are people who say that it is an incredibly depressing film. And when I saw it, I was like, well, I mean, there are there is sadness in it and there's a mournful quality to it at times. And. But it certainly ends on a on a good note, and not an artificially good note either. Um, it ends with uh, a, a note of content, uh, contentment, you know, in the main character, whereas other people view it as surrender and defeat. Mm. And so, I wanted to talk about it from that 
point of view. Um, but first things first, for those that haven't seen it, of course they will have seen it. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a, uh, uh, a summary that I got once again from IMDb. And when you go with a movie like this, there are like five to choose from. And this is the one that uh, had the least amount of frills. People really get excited when they summarize a movie on IMDb. Mm. Uh, so let's have, let's have Josh, our best friend, somebody whose uh, friendship we do not regret at all. Best friend, yours and mine. Yes. Josh Long. Okay. So, hey, Josh, Tyler Smith here. More than one lesson, Battleship Pretension. Hi there. Uh, what is It's a Wonderful Life about? Well... Um, I, I believe, I believe, uh... Like off the top of your head. I, I believe, uh, Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert lose a bunch of money. Right. And then all these people find it, and they're yeah. trying to get it back to Bedford Falls under the big W. Yeah. Before the killer clown eats them all. Yeah. Yes. It it is out there. <laughs> what this movie, movie? What this oh, movie man. has to do with Christmas I, is lost on me. <laughs> but it's a wonderful life indeed. <laughs> um, no, well here here uh, internet is the sum summary of it's a wonderful life for you. On Christmas Eve, all of the citizens of the small town of Bedford Falls pray to the heavens to help George Bailey. It's then decided that Clarence, an angel who hasn't earned his wings, is to help George. Before he does, he should know who George Bailey was. George Bailey grew up in Bedford Falls, a small town where he dreams of leaving it and making his mark on the world. His family's business is the only thing that stands between the good citizens and Mr. Potter, a rich miser who takes sick pleasure in taking from everybody without even caring how it affects them. George was all set to leave when his father died and had to take care of the bu- and he had to take care of the business. George would forever be hindered by his plans to leave and thinks that he is nothing but a failure. He decides to kill himself. That's when Clarence comes in and tries to convince him that he has made something with his life and that he had a wonderful life. Okay. And already I, there's two grammatical errors in there, but that's fine. There's a few grammatical errors, and I think it leaves out one of the kind of the main conceit of the film is yeah. that uh, Clarence, again, for those yeah. that vast minority that hasn't seen this film, um, Clarence shows him what the world would be like if he had never been born. Yeah. This is not about... It's, it, the reason <laughs> I picked like, this summary is because it sets it up so that you can then talk about how they go about doing that. I it's a good so. introductory it, yeah, summary. It's good only as an introduction, um, not as a full summary. I feel like that's kind of like talking about Back to the Future without saying that anybody goes back in time. <laughs> and then Marty discovers... He learns to uh, sympathize with his parents. <laughs> how is not important. Um, You'll just have to see it. But yeah, so that's that's what it's about. And... Uh, and and yes, as Josh alluded to, the way that uh, Clarence the Angel um, Clarence helps Oddbody. That's what. Uh, that's right. Yes, Angel Third Class, Second Class, Second Class. It's oh. Second Class. Yeah. Get with the program here, Josh. I'm sorry. So um, he uh, he shows because George wants to kill himself, and so because and when somebody wants to kill themselves, they're basically saying the world is better without me, um, and so. Clarence is saying, uh, no, it isn't. Look, here is what your life has been. Here's what it would have been if you weren't here. And sure enough, it is, it is a much worse place. So, uh, what was that? There's, there's, we'll, we'll get to this later, we'll get I guess. There's a later. few moments in that, in that, uh, yeah. how much worse the world is that. Yeah. There's some, we'll talk about there's some that stuff later. that dates the film a little bit. There is a, a bit. Um, but, I still uh, enjoy, I, I love the film and I enjoy it, but there are, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll get there. So, uh, first things first. Um, I believe, uh, Reed, when I 
so I, I invited you to, to blog for the site, and uh, you immediately just cranked out a bunch of blogs. Jim, get with the program. <laughs> um, <laughs> by this time, he might have actually sent me that, that blog about a Christmas story. But anyway, um, so uh, – and the first one you sent – and by the way, I didn't ask for this. I have since asked for uh, Christmas-related uh, articles from, from my bloggers, but, uh, but you – volunteered this one and it was yeah. about it's a wonderful life why did you uh what was it about this movie at that particular moment like what struck you about it that made you want to write it well write it? it's funny because i actually had not recently re-seen it i re-watched it uh in preparation for the episode but what came to mind uh was um a discussion at a at a small group that i was in uh where i basically make the point that i will make again now that um this film uh, is vastly, I believe, more relevant in its themes and message today, 2012, even than it was in 1947. Um, I, I, I feel like it's an often overlooked film because of its association with Christmas and its multiple airings around Christmas time. And uh, there's a lot of varying opinions like the one you've expressed and, and certain others about its uh, severe sentimentality and 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 how kind of neat everything is at the end um, that I think people use to dismiss it and I I really do believe as it does for me that if you if you really listen to what's going on with George and what's going on in the lesson he learns um, that it is it is I believe it to be vastly relevant today and so it was from that desire to sort of support that relevance that I that I hashed out the blog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is because uh, I, I uh, reread your. I read it when you first when I first posted it, but I reread it uh, uh, earlier today, and it does seem as though you want to defend the film because it is a film that, like, through cultural osmosis, everyone thinks they know and thinks that like it's such a cliche to say it's a Wonderful Life, you know, Christmas, and just associating these things, and that you're going to see it every year. Like, right. there's a reason that in Home Alone and Home Alone 2, it is being, that's the movie being shown sure. uh, in other languages on TV. Like, it's just, it, it has become something of a punchline, unfortunately, mm-hmm. which is sad because the film is incredibly powerful. Oh, absolutely. And uh, up well, until once- recently, my favorite movie of all time was Citizen Kane, and in the same way that, like, like Rosebud, after a while, became something of a punchline as well. Sure. Like those those classic movies that people kind of know about. Mm-hmm. After a while, they stop taking them seriously as art mm-hmm. and just view them almost as a as a reference. Yeah, yeah, once a film grows to a certain stature, it almost becomes in vogue to talk about how it's not good. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Like, which is kind of silly to think that because uh, because I I can be a contrarian sometimes. I can like want to like things that other people don't like, mm-hmm. or can sometimes feel that. I, I try to resist it, but get that tinge of, of thinking like, if dumb people like this movie, then I then it must not be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I've tried to fight that, and I've had arguments with people actually about that when uh, about I don't know the masses liking something that uh, that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad film. Right. Um, I think something can be good and appeal to a wide number of people. Yeah. I, I, I guess the idea is that if something is is basic enough then it's really just appealing to the lowest common denominator and so then just everyone will like it because who wouldn't like it um because it's easy in that way and i think Mm -hmm. that's that's maybe what people react against sometimes there are some some things in music where maybe i do believe that um 
uh, in popular music, but I don't know. I, f- I feel like there's always something to be said for something that appeals to a wide range of people. That there's a reason that it does, and sometimes that's just because it's good quality. Yeah, I mean, just because it, I think, yeah, I ran across this in in high in in uh, not high school, but in college, uh, and I run across it in myself. Like you said, this idea is like if it appeals to everyone, then clearly. They have to have compromised something, right? <laughs> right. Like <laughs> every year, I think like, well, my favorite movie of the year can't be the one that everybody else likes. Like, I've right. got to find, I got to find some little movie that no one else has seen. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, you really know what's going on exactly. with movies, and everybody else is just, oh, that's that's for the masses. Right. But yeah, and they need to the, look to yeah. me so that I can tell them. And last like, year, a- yeah, and last year when my favorite movie was the crowd pleasing Moneyball. As opposed to Tree of Life or Take Shelter, both of which I love, um, like I just feel like, well, I've lost credibility with, uh, <laughs> with some. Tree critics. of Life was my favorite movie that year. Well, it's because you understand things more than I do, and maybe Probably. you just decided. Uh, I think I'm deeper as a person. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but the, uh, but yeah, and so I think people don't take It's a Wonderful Life seriously because there's just. There's just so much to it culturally, but but it's a it's a rather not necessarily challenging film. But when I first saw it, I did have some of the thoughts that other people have talked about. This idea of like, well, wait a second, this guy wanted to do great things, and none of the things are bad. None of them are necessarily selfish. Like he wanted to see the world. What's wrong with that? You know, yeah. I, I mean, my wife talks regularly about like wanting to travel. That's a huge priority for her. You know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and so it's just like, well, there's nothing wrong with that. And and I've known a lot of people, like in, in Nixa, Missouri, a pretty small town. I know plenty of people who their big goal is just to get out get out and see the world. Um, even if that just means, you know, seeing the rest of the country, you know, mm-hmm. they'll settle for yeah. that. Or the rest of Missouri. Or the rest of Missouri. <laughs> St. Louis can see. Missouri, there really are two. It should be two states. Northern, North Missouri and South Missouri. That's how it works. Because the two have nothing in common except for that name. So so there's nothing wrong with that. And yet, he, and he never gets what he wants. And See, I would, I, and, and I don't know if you had more of a point to make on that, on that regard. So if, if so, I'm sorry I cut you mm-hmm. off. But that's one of the things that I don't think I went into on the blog that I actually um, do think is really affecting about the film is people will think, and, and as with all great literature or movies or anything, that the power is in the subtext, not in not necessarily in the overt text. Mm-hmm. Um, when he says that he wants to travel, he wants to see the world, he wants to build things, here's what my interpretation of the film is, is that, uh, like, well, you have a quote here. I think I'll... Go right ahead. If you, if you don't mind, I'll share it. He says, you know, uh, and he's talking to Mary at this point, who would later become his wife. But he says, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. And then I'm coming back here to go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Now, here's here's my interpretation of, of that line particularly and how it informs his character. He, if it was as simple as man, I'd love to see what Italy's like, mm-hmm. then I would completely agree right. with those things. If it was as simple as I, I want to just, you know, I, I want to just explore, but I don't think it is because in that last part where he talks about wanting to build things, and I think in my interpretation that George wants to be important. 
He oh, wants yeah. to matter, mm-hmm. and he wants to be successful. Now, here's the really uh, well. And you I, can't be that if you stay in this in Bedford. Exactly, Falls. because yeah. if you're in Bedford Falls, Bedford Falls is a dead end, mm-hmm. and you don't mean anything. You will live and die, and very few people will know that you ever even existed. And by implication, there's you know there's there's some actual judgment of his uh, fellow Bedford Falls residents. Absolutely, because. Well, if I stay in Bedford Falls, I don't matter. Well, mm-hmm. by implication, nobody else there matters either. And they yeah. might even be they might be perfectly content to stay there. Mm-hmm. And in watching the film, I think and the more times I've seen it, I, I see how that line hits Mary because she has plans to stay in this town. Like mm-hmm. she's she's she not, wants to marry him, raise a family, and that's all she exactly. wants to do. So yeah. she she wants to stay in this crummy little town and mm-hmm. so that, that that line means something to her as well. Yeah. And there's a speaking of uh him talking to mary i have another quote here and i think a lot of his attitude can be summed up in the last sentence here he says now you listen to me i'm not going to act this out (laughs) i don't want any plastics and i don't want any ground floors and i don't want to get married ever to anyone you understand that i want to do what i want to do and there is there is something there is a humility in saying like i you know i i sure would like to see the world and just see what it what it is what it's about it's quite another to to say i want to see the world Become a better person as an extension. Bring that and me and my awesomeness back to this little berg and make it better by virtue of being me. Yeah. And and I and it's a it it is a I don't want to say that if you like want to travel, if you want to do great things, if you want to be important, that's not a bad thing, you know? Sure. But if if the focus is like this is the like this is who I am and this is how I'm going to identify myself nothing else like I will I will decide how I'm identified thank you very much and if I don't fit my definition I will be considered a failure it doesn't matter if I've done great things for other people unless I hit this very specific goal then it doesn't matter and and him saying I want I want to do what, what I, I want to do, do. Yeah. it's a very it's it's kind of defiant and I believe afterwards uh, uh, he winds up proposing but well that, yeah that's and that's one one thing that I like this is one of my favorite moments of the film this one and we'll probably get to the other one but uh, in this moment you see that tension between um, wanting something that's out there that's that's mysterious that's big that seems like it's the best thing Mm -hmm. and you see the the conflict between that and between what's in front of him which literally is mary in this situation like he's there with her and she (laughs) this is a great scene because unless i'm remembering incorrectly this is one where he comes to see her after he's been gone for a while and she clearly is is very interested in him and is kind of trying to draw him in and she's drawn that that picture of him lassoing the George moon. lassos the moon, which is so great, but he doesn't appreciate it at all, and it's very sad. And like she's very upset, and it's it's just going, it's going so poorly, um, and it's because he he still wants to be somewhere else. Like he's mm-hmm. he's looking at that bigger thing. He's looking at that wild blue yonder out there, whatever it is. Um, but here she is, and she loves him, and she's good for him. And those two things just collide at this moment where he. You can tell he's shouting one thing, but he knows that he's feeling the other thing um, because he, he he has feelings for her like that. They're there because they come out because I think he kisses her like almost right after he says this, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just love that moment with that, that emotion and that tension within him. And then and then the way it resolves itself. I think that's a 
That's one of my I favorite can, moments. I completely agree. And I think that like that moment is heightened by the context that he's just found out after like he put off his dreams because his father died. Mm-hmm. And so he stayed to take care of the business. And uh, then his brother went away to college. And the night that that scene takes place, he has just found out earlier that day that his brother mm-hmm. has gotten married yeah. and is being yeah. offered another job is not going to take over the business. Yeah. So the tension from him is heightened by the fact that he's hit one more barricade yeah. to everything that he wants to do. Yeah. And, oh, it's a it's a powerful scene. It's wonderfully yeah. acted, too. It's mm-hmm. it, The performances all across the board are great. Yeah. And by, by emphasizing, by, by talking about how he how the character might be a little selfish like i don't mean to imply that i mean if if i were in a position where i had an idea of what i wanted what i desperately wanted uh and then it keeps getting snatched away from me in various little little things yes it becomes very easy to ignore some of the other things the other positive things that have entered my life but like it's it is it is frustrating like and so I don't want to just condemn George's attitude. It's a totally normal attitude. Oh, yeah. And oh, even, yeah. even more so, this is the thing I just remembered about it, too. At the moment, they're they're on the phone with uh, with Sam Wainwright. Is that right? Remember that's his and name. This is the guy who has kind of got the life that George wants. He's gone out. He's, like, become rich. He's seen the world. He, he runs this plastics company, which is why George references plastics in the, mm-hmm. in the line there. So literally on the other end of this phone he's holding in his hand is the man who has the life that he wants to have in mm-hmm. some sense and that just makes the tension all that much yeah greater and it's and so one of the things that i do love about the film and love about jimmy stewart as an actor in general is that he at a time when i feel like hollywood acting was a little bit heightened you know you mm-hmm. get somebody like a humphrey bogart or a cary grant or a james cagney or something like that um, actors that I love and that within over the course of their careers a lot of them managed to examine who they were as actors and the types of roles they would play you know you see Bogart like you know in a lonely place or something like that or um, or Treasure of the Sierra Madre like and just eg- sort of examining like this is this is how I come across as an actor but what what might be underneath it yeah like so I don't mean to say that those actors are bad, not not at all, but you didn't find a lot of naturalistic acting, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I liked Frederick March so, uh, March so much is that he, uh, you know, he I mean he could play Jekyll and Hyde, of course, but he also you know you see the best years of our lives and you see a very mm. Great uh, nuanced, realistic mm-hmm. performance that's very down to earth, and that's what I get from Jimmy Stewart. You just can't, you just you, you feel like. I can't imagine this man being an actor because he seems so genuine. I recognize mm-hmm. he is an actor, yeah, and he's playing role. Uh, he's saying lines that other people wrote for him, but he just is so in the moment and so genuine that you can't not believe him. Right. And then when he does hit those moments of heightened emotion, yeah, it's it's been such a such a uh, it's such a difference from what we've seen before when we've seen him as a downplayed kind of a regular guy. Mm-hmm. There's some another scene that I love in the movie is where. Uh, um, when Mary gets trapped in the bushes without her her robe, and he's kind of walking back and forth, deciding what he's going to do, and he's kind of just mumbling these lines to himself. Oh, and they're yeah. great; it's great co- comedic lines, but he, he's he's not like selling them as comedy. He's just mumbling to himself, and it's it's a it's a great downplayed scene. Yeah, and just and that's the thing is casting him in the performance that he gives. He really, I mean, it's a standard thing to say that you know Jimmy Stewart in general is kind of an everyman, but in this. 
he, he is quite an everyman because, I mean, you know, who among us has not had great plans only to have them frustrated uh, by something, whether it be a choice we made or something that, that has, was kind of foisted upon us. Uh, and so by having this guy who is totally sympathetic by virtue of how he how he approaches life and that sort of thing um, and, and how he responds to things, by casting him... It's it's also incidentally why I think casting him in Rear Window and uh, Vertigo is amazing because he's oh, somebody yeah. that we can relate to emotionally, and he's doing these terrible things. It's like, oh, I don't want to relate to this guy, <laughs> but but that's why like it's a wonderful life. Like it resonates with people so much because mm-hmm. just you can put a lot of yourself on George Bailey. Absolutely, yeah. and it's and it's a movie which maybe many people know the movie wasn't very popular at the time when it came out. Yeah, it wasn't the hit they wanted it to be. No, and it. It may be in part because he plays that type of character. Like, it, it was more normal and more maybe profitable back then to make movies about people who are heroes or, or who are rich people who have mm-hmm. fascinating lives, people who are, you know, war stories, westerns, things where you get to see something fantastic, something you might not see otherwise. Right. And George Bailey in Bedford Falls is a regular guy with a regular job in regular old small town America. So yeah. that. Um, that element of it may may have been kind of a downer to people at the time, mm-hmm. and um, I think still can be to a to a degree. And maybe that's why some people don't don't like it nowadays because it shows because uh, there are a lot of depressing moments of it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I think the film ultimately I, f- I find encouraging, but I I do find it a little bit depressing for a lot of it because he. He does seem like a victim of his circumstances. Like he he wants something, and he really wants to to be something in his life, and everything that he runs into makes him feel like that that's never going to be possible. Like more right. and more so, and it keeps. I think it's a thing that especially a lot of young people can identify with in in thinking like what happens if like right now I'm not where I want to be, but like what happens if every step of the, along the way, right. Something else makes it so I can't where, be where I want to be. And what happens if I'm 50 and I'm still thinking it, it's just, it's just around the corner. Like eventually I'm going to get there. Like yeah. what happens if you get to be 50, 60 and then it's like, it's, it's too late. Yeah. There's a wonderful Tom Waits song, uh, called, I don't want to grow up. And it's basically this guy, it was uh, later covered by the Ramones uh, and it seemed like such a Ramones song that people are surprised it was a Tom Waits song at first. Um, but uh, in the same way that uh, the song Jersey Girl was then was covered by Bruce Springsteen, and people are like, well, clearly it has That's to be Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen's no, right. it was Tom no. Waits. Exactly. Uh, but uh, but it's, it's basically this guy listing all these things that he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to grow up. He doesn't want to do this, 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 this. And basically you realize as the song progresses, he's listing all the things that he's doing right now but doesn't want to, and you see him getting older as it happens and mm-hmm. it's basically him saying I don't want to be this thing that I'm doing I, I want to be doing these other things and, and then at the end it's like oh I'm dead <laughs> like I'm just <laughs> like uh, he ends with how the hell did it get here so soon uh, implying you know the end of his life and um, and yeah it is it, I mean it, it is easy to become easy and understandable to become bitter and re- and resentful and that's one of the things that I that I think people responded to or rather didn't respond to at, at the time is, you know, I mean, it was right after the war. And so people, it's like, okay, come back from, the, it's like, come back from the war. We'll have a house 
it will have a nice idyllic life with a wife and children and a nice job and a nice house and a nice fine boring community like we've got that all waiting for you you've had you've seen enough in the war we've got this it was you know kind of the american dream and george is not happy with it yeah and so suddenly this thing that we like it may not be like heroic but it's it's the thing that we all in theory want or at least at the time we all wanted and here's a character who got that and actually didn't even have to go through the hell of war to get it yeah he got it and and in many cases it was just sort of handed to him and he's not happy Mm -hmm. and so suddenly people are like oh well, wait a second. Yeah, and the, and the idea right. of a movie that questions the American dream from yeah. 1946 is something that's kind yeah. of kind of amazing. And yeah. I think that's yeah. that's you don't one think thing. of it as a subversive film, and no, yeah. it, it is a little bit. And that's one of the things that I think we, looking back on it as as film lovers, need to recognize because that's 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 not a that's no small thing. Yeah, yeah. And he actually one of the things that I that I think Frank Capra has said in interviews that he loved about it and wanted to do it. He's he described this as the movie he was always waiting to make. And one of the things you mentioned that it's not a, a specifically heroic film, but I think that's part of the point is that he's expressing that heroism is not about going out and conquering lions mm-hmm. it's not about winning it's not about the war f- filibustering on the on the floor of congress <laughs> exactly because he made that movie yeah. and that was a great movie <laughs> but it's it's also about um, just living your life the best way that you can live it and 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 i do think that there is an element of sort of the importance of the individual to it that it's like and one of the things that i find so beautiful about it I understand the frustrations people have when they say, well, George's dreams keep, you know, uh, the scripture says that a hope deferred makes the heart sick, and and Mm -hmm. George's dreams just keep getting deferred, Mm -hmm. so naturally he's going to be completely depressed and completely frustrated and upset, but one of the things that I think is so wonderful about the film is – that it's expressing you you matter like you matter where you are you're you're important and i think so many people particularly look at their own life and they look at it in comparison to what other people are doing yeah. and say well this person over here is doing very much you talked about sam wainwright mm-hmm. is very much doing what i want to do why mm-hmm. can't i have that yeah. harry like, is why, a uh, is a war hero yeah, yeah why don't i get that and he's and again i come back to again it's my interpretation but i think it's a valid one that um, george wants to matter he mm-hmm. wants to to feel as if he's important yeah. and his like you said his brother's important his brother saved an entire transport of people yeah. and you know his friend is important he's running a major plastics corporation which by the way they make a couple of references to the fact that George could have gotten in on the ground floor if he if he hadn't been saddled with the old Bailey building and loan exactly. and and so he wants so desperately to mean something to to matter in any capacity and feels erroneously so we know but he feels genuinely every step of the way like i don't matter like my heart breaks every time i see the movie and he yeah. says i'm worth more dead than alive and you know mm-hmm. why it breaks mm-hmm. because i've thought that mm-hmm. i've thought you know like it would have it would have been better i'm i'm more valuable if i'm just out of everybody's way mm-hmm. and yeah. Yes, I think that all the time uh, <laughs> because I have a, a natural melancholy to me. But um, you know, and uh, Jen and I both have life insurance, and there, are, you know, there was a time when I was working at Blockbuster, not bringing in a lot of money, and I just realize, and I was realizing just like if I, uh, if I died, Jen would be sitting pretty. Yeah. 
being alive is really costing her a lot of money. <laughs> and just it's and it's not, crazy where your mind goes. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, but yeah, and and it's interesting that you say it's that there's a it's a very individualistic film um, mm-hmm. because I'm sure some people would say that the film is all about assimilation. Uh, it's all oh. about it's all about like no hey be can you know be happy with with the being like everybody else you know don't get you know don't have goals don't have dreams just get in line oh that's know? interesting i don't get yeah. that at oh, all i don't think that yeah but I, i've yeah. run across it exactly which i think is an interesting thing to talk about because you said that it is an opinion that some people have had about mm-hmm. it that like just just keep your head down deal yeah. with the place that you're in don't yeah. don't, don't ask try questions yeah. yeah don't ask questions don't try to do anything else and i feel like that's an improper response to the film because, first of all, George Bailey is a person who asks questions, mm-hmm. and he is a person who wants more out of life. And I don't think he's ever shown – I don't think it's ever shown in the film that that is a problem, that the problem with him is that he wants more out of life. No. Like, no. I don't think that's the issue. I think uh, the film speaks to a much more interesting, much more pertinent question is what happens if – you don't get to be this other person that you think right. you're meant to be. Like, it's it's not saying don't aspire to anything. It's not saying that your life can't be anything better than it is. But it's saying, what do you do no. if it isn't? Yeah, right. because that's the thing is you could... It, it sort of makes the argument, as uh, Rita, as you were saying, that you matter. What you do matters. You're going to, you know, the ripple effect, like... You touch people in ways that you can't possibly understand. Yeah, Clarence, as much as says that, yeah. says you know every life touches a thousand other yeah. lives. Mm-hmm. And so then the que- so it's like so if that's a given, the question then is, do you want to be George P- George Bailey or do you want to be Mister Potter? <laughs> because that's the thing. You could let this bitterness overtake you and be like, you know what? Screw this whole thing. I'm yeah. ang- you know I'm angry. I'm resentful. I'm bitter. Things have not been you know life has not been good to me. You know because I believe uh, again I, it's been a while since I've seen it. Potter's in a wheelchair, correct? Yes, mm-hmm. he okay. is. And you, I find myself wondering, how did he get in the wheelchair? Is it just because he's old, or has he been in it for a while? Hmm. Who knows? Maybe he got struck struck with polio and realized. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be a track star or something like that. And now here I am. And you know what? A warped, whole, frustrated old a warped, man. frustrated oh, old man. What a great like, line. <laughs> and just like, the, like, I am not, I was not able to do, I was not able, able to matter the way that I wanted to. And so, you know what? Screw everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, and there's that great scene where he he all but says we're not so different you and I like yeah. it's, oh, it's that's an amazing scene and it's yeah. it yeah. it puts you in mind of that like they maybe Potter kind of is in the same position as yeah. as George was he's got a lot more money but he's a lot older maybe he's just been doing this for longer yeah. eventually he's just built up an empire and maybe that's where George could be in so much time and he says Potter says to George what are you but a frustrated young man yeah, yeah. and uh, that's that's a powerful powerful scene yeah uh, because Potter just knows and he reads George's mail he sees everything yeah. and here's the amazing thing about that scene is he's not speaking encouragingly to him right he's reading his mail for the sake of manipulating him to get what he wants and to, yeah. and to take revenge for all the times that George Bailey has stood in the way of him owning Bedford Falls and changing its name to Pottersville. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is one of the things that you uh, find so quaint about it, right? It, yes. That, and me too, I guess. Yeah, there is a... there is a uh, when, when George comes back and he sees that, you know... He wasn't around, and so Potter took over the town. It's it's all gone to 
to pot, but but in a way that's very like adorable. <laughs> kind of, it's like w- the the camera goes to all the the signs of the things in town, and there's some things like look like they're maybe strip clubs or joints like that, yeah. so that, that they're a little bit seedy. But then there's like pawn shops, like that's a like that's a the sign of a seedy society, or like jazz clubs. It's like, okay, oh, well, okay, well, jazz clubs, <laughs> but it, but it's interesting because that because when in in uh, in light of the blog that Reed wrote, the pawn shop thing strikes me as interesting hmm. because a lot has been said, regardless of your political views, a lot has been said that yes, the vast majority of the wealth is in the possession of you know the very few, and a lot of people you know, and we're in the middle of a recession right now, and so like, um, and a lot of people are wanting. Those cash for gold commercials sure do sure do show up a lot, hmm. and maybe like the idea of the pawn shop in Pottersville is because this is all people. This is what people have to do for money because hmm. Potter's got it all, you know. And so like, th- maybe there's nothing necessarily wrong with a pawn shop, but maybe the very fact that pawn shops that, that there are so many of them, like denotes economic uh, problems in the in in the city. Hmm. Um, maybe, so. but then the uh, the other one. <laughs> The other one that gets me is um, uh, after he's seen several different things, George asks Clarence, he says, where's Mary? I have to see Mary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Clarence says, oh, you won't like it, George. He's, uh, <laughs> what, what is it? Tell me where she is. She works at the library. She's a spinster. Like, and, she's an old maid, right? Yeah, she's yeah. an old maid, she's he old says. Maid. And, you know, George, it's like the worst thing that could happen to her is yeah. to not get married and work at the library. And, of course, he goes to find her. And she's got glasses and she's got glasses. her hair all tied back. It's <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, glasses so, are evidently the symbol of lack of attraction yeah. for anybody you know i saw she's yeah, all I'd that say that's about right. and uh, yeah. and that's that's yeah. it so that always makes me laugh a little bit and, and dates the movie a little bit that like mary doesn't have you know her life is so much worse and the, that is the downside of a movie like this where it basically says hey you never know what's going to come your way and you can make a go of anything Unless, of course, you're Unless an old you're single an old woman. Maid, yeah. You know, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. and that's and, where, like, the cultural aspect can kind of be a problem with the film. Right. And if you look at it in the sense of she, she doesn't have this family that in George's life she does have and is very rewarding to her, there is, there is that element of it, but that doesn't, it, it's hard to play that up in, yeah. in the film. And, um, so, yeah. And then there's a moment right after that that always makes me laugh. I think when, uh, George goes to grab Mary and she screams, and then he goes running off down the down the down the the street, and Bert, the cop, just pulls out his gun in, in a middle <laughs> oh, yeah. of a crowded street. <laughs> oh yeah, and he's like, "Stand back!" and just starts firing. Like, <laughs> hope nobody gets hit. No hey. sense of collateral damage. Like, I laugh at that every single time. Cause it's hey, like, in Pottersville, you know, all anything the, all goes. the cops are drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. Um, it's no man's land. I don't know if you got that. It sure is. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that that's one of the. I, I guess that's one of the big things that it, that it talks about that I think is a that I think is a very um, a very Christian idea. So much so that actually on uh, on one of Bob Dylan's uh, two overtly Christian albums, uh, probably the most notable song to come out of that that era of his career is uh, you're going to have to serve somebody. And he says, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve serve somebody. somebody. And in that same way, it's just like your life is going to make a difference. There's no question about it. Like maybe not everybody in the Bible is singled out, but everybody has a part to play. Yeah. And the question is, 
are you going to be, you know, Herod or Jezebel or a pilot or, you know, any of these, or are you going to try to be, you know, Jeremiah or, and I picked Jeremiah specifically because he's the guy who was called to do something and no one listened. Oh man. You know what I mean? Like Jeremiah gets such a bad, bad thing happened to him. Yeah. He's, I, I feel terrible for him. Oh I, I view him as a modern day podcaster. <laughs> so, um, or me, uh, modern day podcasters as, uh, as Jeremiah's, but, um, so, uh, not me, of course, uh, people listen to me, right? Everybody, mm-hmm. Tyler, more than one lesson. So the Jeremiah just never won that podcast award. <laughs> <laughs> Nominated every year. No, no, no wonder he was so melancholy. <laughs> so, um, but I did want to, uh, with, and I've got a number of quotes here. Uh, and so. But one thing, and I've talked about it on the show before, and I really want to emphasize it because uh, it's it's an example of, of what we're talking about. You know, George, when he is young, he saves his younger brother fr- who fell through ice. And uh, he saves him. And in the process, by the way, uh, hurts himself. He loses the hearing in one ear, and that keeps him from going to war, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, whereas his, his brother, who was the one that got, you know, got saved... Uh, not in the spiritual sense here, goes off and becomes a war hero. And so, but no one ever says, you know, there's a big parade for, what is his name? Andy? Harry. His Harry, brother, Harry, ba- Harry Bailey. Is there an Andy? Andy Richter is who you're thinking That's who of. I'm He's thinking He's not of. in the film. What? I know. Oh, man. Oversight. So, um, yeah, so Harry, I'm sorry. Uh, so, yeah. There, there are all these parades for Harry. There are no parades for... It seems as though George should be right there, and everyone's like, yay, Harry. And then Harry's like, I wouldn't be here if not for him. Yay, him, too. Yeah. You know, but that's not how it works. Not at all. And so in the same way, I wanted to uh, bring up uh, one of my favorite aspects of the Bible. And so we've got John 1, verses 40 through 42. Read. You get to read this one. Oh, so delightful. Um... John 1, 40 through 42, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. Yes. Okay. So... Andrew is notable for being pretty much the first disciple and for bringing Peter to uh, to Christ, uh, quite literally, uh, brought him to him. And uh, so now we'll go to Acts 2, verses 38 through 41. We'll have Josh uh, read this. This is what Peter, this is Peter uh, preaching to, uh, to the masses. Uh, do you want, are you good? Okay. He says, said, Uh, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay, so... One of my and I think I might have mentioned this in our Avengers episode, but one of my favorite things to mention is that in this in this little passage, Peter is responsible for the conversion of three thousand people. As far as I know, Andrew is responsible for one, but the one that he did was Peter. Now Peter gets a lot more press 
in the Bible than uh, than Andrew does. But <laughs> Andrew had a had a role to play. And imagine if Andrew had not done what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you know, that it, it. I'm sure. I'm sure it could. It, there's a possibility that he might be bitter that his uh, brother got all the uh, gets all the attention, gets a lot of opportunities, and is considered like you know this amazing uh, this amazing guy. Albeit, albeit uh, you know, not perfect three times um but uh but yeah so that's that's an example that i that i love because it's like you can matter and and it does seem especially these days it really does seem like the only way to matter is for everyone to acknowledge you matter um and that means a certain degree of fame or or just being well known in some capacity and having a lot of money is sort of a version of that because that means a lot of people have voluntarily given you money for one reason or another and thus acknowledge that you're pretty great. Or at least your product is great or whatever it is. You, you have know? value and they yeah. attach a number to that value. Right. And it's usually a lot of people know about you and what you've done. And frankly, if you were to ask people, if you were to ask the, you know, I'd say most Christians like, hey, what what role did Peter play? Uh, did, did Peter play in the Bible? They'd probably give you a number of of things, although they might lead with the with the bad one. Um, and uh, but if you say, what about Andrew? Oh, who is he again? Which one yeah. is that? He's one of them, right? It's yeah, like, he is. Yes, he was the first one, which is of note. But then he also did this this thing here, which changed the way the yeah. you know changed the the course of of human history now do you know uh, uh, uh just real quickly do you know the story of how billy graham came to be converted oh i did and now i don't it, it, i don't even remember the guy's name which is probably more appropriate than it needs to be mm-hmm. but there was a man who had been a very frustrated sunday school teacher for a large number of years was invited as a guest speaker for uh, for a tent revival for a number of weeks he has literally almost nothing to show in ways of conversion or notoriety except for that on the final day of his uh, guest speaking at this tent revival, uh, he gave an altar call, and one of the people who came forward was Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, like I said, I, I don't remember the, the man's name, but that's almost uh, almost fitting in a way because he was responsible for what, in other people's estimation, would be so little. You know, like what contribution did you make to mm-hmm. to to this in any in any way? Um, and yet. Uh, we don't see the value of that. He didn't, really, you know. Billy Graham was a very young, like teenage boy, when he came and gave his heart to the Lord, and now he's Billy Graham, you mm-hmm. know. And we don't know how many times that happens. We don't know how often that might have happened to to any of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just we just don't know. And um, I don't want to derail you from from where you intended to go with this, but I just want to stress the point that I think it is. Um, uh, the, the word that I'll use, and it's not meant to be derogatory, is is I think it's a bit naive to think that the verdict on your life is that you would give if you have that opinion. Like the verdict George gives to his life is not accurate because he doesn't have all the information. Right. And m- so many times, uh, some seasons I daily find myself in that same position. I'll put a verdict on my life saying this is this way or this is this way, when the fact is I. I don't have all the information. I just, I don't know. And it is at best naive to think that you're accurately seeing yourself and your importance. Um, and at worst, it could be incredibly detrimental. There's a, uh, 
I didn't write it down, but in The Great Divorce, I, yes, I will quote C.S. Lewis again. Sorry, everybody. Or reference. I don't have the quote. But um, where character is in heaven and uh, sees this woman who looks glorious. She's preceded by, like, angels singing her praises. Mm-hmm. And just, it's just this giant uh, event, her just walking around. And and the narrator's like, oh, wow, she must have done something pretty amazing like who who was she and then his guide is like you wouldn't have known her nobody knew her but (laughs) those that did know her like they were blessed in ways that you can't possibly imagine like like men would like men would talk to her and actually wind up with a deeper love for their own wives you know and stuff like that just somebody who just blesses other people and makes makes other people feel good about themselves and feel loved and that sort of thing and just like but nobody of course nobody you would never ever have heard of this woman and so um and this idea and that's the thing is like the only the only time you'll ever get all the information is when you know god says well done good and faithful servant which i will quote here in a moment um and so yeah so we we move on to this idea that you know, George did quite a bit and it's not even so much. That's, that's the thing is like, we're focusing on the idea of him mattering and not even so much his happiness because he is happy with Mary. He's happy with his children. Right. And only when things start to go bad, when external circumstances, happiness, as opposed to contentment, pardon me, he's content with Mary. He's content with his, with his kids and happy as well. But happy is usually dependent on when external things are going well. And so when the building and loan gets in trouble, yeah. Suddenly, that's when none of this is enough. He's a failure, but also things never went his way anyway. This is yeah. what I wanted in the first place. You know. Yeah. That's when all this stuff starts coming out. That first st- moment when he just grabs Uncle Billy and yeah. picks him up. That's when it starts to break. Like yeah. he's yeah. been very diplomatic through this whole event, but when he's like, you know, I, I forget exactly what he calls him. But he calls him you old fool. Yeah, 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 and 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 just really insulting to this kind old man. Mm. And well, uh, he is kind of an old fool. A little bit. He's yeah. always got those strings that can never, he right. never remind him, never do what they're meant to do. Yeah. But when that happens, you know, he's like, you know, do you know what this means? You know, somebody's going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's when what you're talking about comes out where he's like, I have, I have paid my dues. I have done enough to at least be able to go home without getting punished again mm-hmm. for something I'm not even responsible for. And I do think George feels punished. Oh yeah. yeah I yeah. think he feels very victimized mm-hmm. and and like I you know I I wanted all of this and I'm being punished for just being a good son, for just being, you know, a good citizen mm-hmm. and I don't get to have all the stuff. And I think the people who focus on that element of it, I definitely think that it it's possible to interpret that way, but I think they're just I'll just say it. I don't think they're listening to Clarence. I think they're listening to George, but I don't think they're listening to Clarence because yeah. the whole idea of the third act of the film is that George, you you were mistaken. That's yeah. that's the thing. Is yeah, you felt this way, but you were mistaken. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, and that's the thing is like this idea of not only did you make a difference in the in your brother's life and the and by extension the the people that he saved but um and the town in general and your wife in general but also like you you forget it's so when things are going poorly extremely poorly in the case of george you know i mean he doesn't want to go to jail obviously um but like when things are going poorly you immediately forget that like well his wife made him happy too you know like right he was blessed 
by the people of the town. He was blessed by his wife and his children. But that goes out the door, you know, when you're thinking only in terms of what could have been, what you wanted to be. And, and I don't know. It's just when it becomes, when it gets back to, I want to do what I want to do and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, do, uh, I don't want to take too much time, but the, I want to point out one moment that illustrates, I think what you're talking about. He, there's two moments in the, the scene after he's realized the uncle Billy travesty and gets back home, which is a heartbreaking scene when he yeah. blows up at his kids. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that moment, there's two moments. One is where he grabs his, his middle son mm-hmm. and just is, is, is on the verge of weeping and just kissing him. And, and, and he's like, Oh no, it's actually the daughter I think that he grabs. I can't remember which one. It's one of his children. He mm-hmm. he grabs and, and just and just embraces tightly, and he just starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And you can see just that affection and that outpouring of "Oh my God, I love you!" I, I you know all of this sort of stuff, and the tenderness that he has with Zuzu mm-hmm. when he realizes she's sick. But mere seconds later, out of his mouth comes, "Why do we have to have all these kids?" Yeah, yeah. and I'm and and that to me, I applaud the movies courage to include a line like that mm-hmm. that i feel like is so real and human because for what george is going through you really could almost feel a bit schizophrenic because in one moment you're like oh my god this is all that matters in the world and the next moment this is what's holding me back yeah. this is what's this is what the you know the reason that i can't have what i want and don't get to do what i want to do is because of all these darn kids and mm-hmm. this drafty old house which at one point he found romantic you know and yeah. and uh, and i think that's a tendency that honestly if we were being truthful with ourselves many of us are prone to mm-hmm. we're we're very prone when as you said things aren't going well and we're not happy mm-hmm. which i think is uh, I don't want to get off on this tangent, but I think that's why the divorce rate is so high, and I think that's why so many disillusioned with, with what they do um, is because when they're not happy, we in, in, in our lives, maybe in our generation and in America, have come to see happiness as like the virtue to be achieved. Whatever yeah. makes you happy, that's what you need to pursue. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's a right, even. Like we exactly. That way, the pursuit I have a of happiness. Right. Exactly. I have a right to be happy. Mm-hmm. And when we uh, get so stuck in that mindset that anything that is not making us happy, we then view that as the shackle that, you know, like, well, this needs to be excised. This Mm -hmm. needs to be cut off from me. Um, And it can be really easy to get bitter and resentful about that um, when in point of fact, like you talked about earlier, uh, that contentment can be so much more sometimes a more powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, contentment with yourself, contentment with your surroundings. And I don't think that's a cop-out saying, hey, you know, buckle down and don't have ambitions. I think that's just recognizing the beauty that's already around you. Mm-hmm. And usually contentment is a function of what you know. Happiness is a function of what you feel. And I'm somebody who, I'm sure listeners know, I tend to be governed by what I feel a little too much. Uh, because if I... It's interesting. I, I was in counseling uh, for a while, and I did this uh, based on a conversation that my counselor and I had. I came home and I, I did like this exercise, um, and it was it was about basically like you know because I'm I tend to worry about you know who I am and and how people perceive me, and and so I did a thing, and it was, this is who I think I am, this is who I know I am, and and I could have replaced think with feel. This is who I feel that I am, this is who I know that I am, and when I wrote them down, I, I looked, and it's like, wow, there's almost no intersection here, hmm. Like, and one was immensely more negative than the other. The wow. feel was much more negative, and that's the thing, and if you were to ask me, like, in the midst of a fight with Jen, 
how's your marriage going? I'd be like, terribly. It's going awful. Sure. Because I'm yeah. furious. I'm, you know, it's, I'm going with my feelings. But like, but if you were to ask me like, okay, stop for one moment. I know you feel angry, but just stop for a moment and think, is this the end of your marriage? No. Is it going to be better in an hour? Yes. Was it better yesterday? Yes. Then your marriage is fine. You might be angry now, and this fight is something that needs to be dealt with, certainly. Yeah. But, and then, and our feelings can be like a good indicator of things that are important, but not the things that are the end all be all of everything. And, uh, by the way, if anybody knows how to do that, uh, Tyler, more than one lesson.com <laughs> would be great. But, um, and, uh, and to sort of wrap up a little bit, um, you know, like you said, there, you can matter in a lot of different ways and ways that that's the key is <laughs> eh, this, this, this line has a swear in it. I'll paraphrase in uh, wag the dog. There's a wonderful line written by David Mamet, of course, uh, in which he says, you know, it's like being a plumber when you do everything right. Nobody should notice, but it's when you screw up that everything gets full of crap. Yeah. Okay. And it's, that's the thing is the very nature like, of course, he wouldn't know the the how big of a how important he was and how much he mattered, because you only see that things are actually going pretty well. Only when you see the al- the alternative, which is Pottersville, and and Mary being an old maid, we'll put that aside. Um, <laughs> you know, like only when you see that, which you you're not in any position to see at all. It it reminds me of I'll bring up marriage again. It reminds me like. There are times when, like, like Jen and I, we we each have like little things that like bother the other person, and we're like, "Can you please try not to do that?" It's like, sure. Well, then you're basically not to imply don't do that, but like you're setting yourself up if you take the wrong attitude, because then the next per the next time that person does it, you're like, "I thought I told you to stop doing it." Right. You're not seeing the ten times they didn't do it exactly yeah. by exactly. its very nature. You're not seeing it. Yeah, and so like. So we we tend to define like what that we matter almost invariably by like the things that we can see or in some cases the things that we can imagine but but are not yeah and right. not the things that could have been right it's the, it's always the big obvious things that have a lot more effect on us because we're yeah. not we're often not in tune enough to look at either the things that like you said aren't happening or the smaller things that might be just as important and there's a, a line that uncle billy says to uh potter which i like he's like after and because potter's talking about george uh not going to not going off to war and he said and uncle billy says after all some people like george had to stay at home not every heel was in germany and japan in reference <laughs> to uh in reference to potter like right someone had to stop him had to stop you from doing terrible things <laughs> which is an awesome line I yeah. love it. that's <laughs> a phenomenal line um and so i wanted to uh to move on to this uh in fact uh we'll quote uh george's father who started the building and uh, the building and loan um and i'll, I'll do this one I feel that in a small way we were doing something important, satisfying a fundamental urge. It's deep in the race for a man to want his own roof and walls and fireplace, and we're helping him get those in our own shabby little office. And what I like is that he emphasizes how small it all is, yeah. but how vital. Mm-hmm. And so in that, so in that uh, I have a rather large passage from the Bible here. It is a parable. And by the way, I've even cut out the middle. <laughs> um, not because it's unimportant, but because uh, it saves time. Um, 
And I was going to say real quick before we okay. go into that, in in reference to that line, I think that points to a quick thing I wanted to mention, which is I think my other favorite moment in the movie, which I think is the emotional climax of the movie when um, when George is running through the town and he's saying Merry Christmas to everything, and then he says Merry Christmas, you you beautiful old building and loan. Like mm-hmm. that's yeah. the moment where this thing that's been the problem from his whole life, like he he finally makes that connection that like this is this is something important this is something great mm-hmm. and i don't know it's it's validating in a way um and that's the thing is is and you'll see where i'm going with this but like the building and loan is not that big of a deal really in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. but it's big enough yeah and and if he had simply let it go to seed then it would have made, it, it, it made, it made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Potter would have taken over. And so it was a small thing, but he did well with it. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, it's pretty long. Do you want me to just read this? Or do you want me to assign it to one of you? Oh, I don't mind to read it. Okay. Read it. So this is Matthew 25, verses 14 through 21 and 24 through 30. You will understand uh, why I cut out uh, the middle of it. Okay. Um It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey, and the man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked Wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and thrown and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. Uh, first thing I do want to say, this is not a fun, this is not about like that last thing, those who do not have even even what they do have will be taken from them. That's not a we're not talking about poverty here. We're not talking about like we're not talking about like oh well we should go to the people who have very little because clearly they're not being efficient and enough. Throw them out where there's weeping and gnashing of right. teeth. <laughs> um, so uh, so we're not talking about that. But um, and we're also not talking about like every single attitude uh, addressed in this parable. But the thing that I found interesting was the parables fascinate me so much, and admittedly, I shouldn't be surprised when I see how wise they are given the nature of what they are. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's amazing how, because I've heard, I've heard this, you know, a million times. But it was only this time, in thinking about it in reference to, to this movie, that I was thinking like, well, of, of course, like, our natural instinct would be that the guy who was given the most is the one who would, like, want to protect it the yeah. most. 
and be the and be the most worried about losing it because he's going to lose a lot, right? And our natural and I think our natural instinct is like the person who is given very little, like he should be cut some slack, you know, because he doesn't have very much. Like we we we, I I think we want to like kind of bring down the people that have a lot, whatever yeah, right. that might be. Right. At least so, more than us. Right. Yeah. Yes. And also we're tempted to look at this only in terms of money, which I think is not a good right. way to look at the parable. Yeah. And so, but what, but it's like, it's so, it's so wise to have the guy who only has this little bit. He's like, he's the one that is so, that is like worried about it and seems, I, I don't think that the, that the guy is necessarily resentful, but he does seem to recognize that because he has less than everybody else, he needs to deal with it differently. Um, and it's interesting because, like, you see, I mean, this is this is Jesus' parable, and he speaks very definitively there at the end about how this guy should be treated. Mm. And it's like he was. It's like yes, you are not as respons- You're not responsible for this stuff over here. It's a whole lot of stuff over here that this guy was re- is responsible for. You're responsible for this one thing, so maybe you thought it didn't really matter what you did with it. Mm. But it does. It matters a right. lot. The saving, uh, the the building and loan may not matter that much in the long run, in the in the grand scheme of things. But it matters to you. It matters to the town. So take it seriously, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife and I do like premarital counseling for our church, and I've read through a number of of marriage books. And one thing that that struck me, I'll, I'll quote from uh, the West Wing. There's a uh, in in the uh, first season. There's a character whose marriage crumbles as a function of being like the chief of staff, and he's right. focused totally on on being that. And she's like, "Is this more important than your marriage?" And he says, "It is more important than my marriage." And I would venture to say, "No, it isn't." Now that is a very Christian idea, and there are, there are people that says that that would say like the vast every you know 300 million people are more important than your wife it's like yes but if you can't take care of that one person then really everything's a calculation at that point right you know and that's and it's like and who knows what what might happen to to her or or you know if you're if you're a wife like your husband you might be you might really only be you might only quote unquote matter in the when it comes to the world, you might only really matter to your wife or your husband and your kid. And that's it. Really nobody else. But like, that's as, as Josh said, like that's no small thing. And what's more, God is going to, and I don't mean to say this as a threat, but God views that as a gift that you are supposed to do something with, as opposed to merely saying like, well, I wasn't, you know, I'm not that important. So I don't really matter. So it doesn't matter what I do. This right. movie says it matters. It absolutely matters what you do. So you you should probably do something good as opposed to spend all your time thinking that you don't matter. And it's something that I myself, I regularly feel like I don't, that I don't matter that like, because the numbers for this show are low. If or, you had a podcast award on the shelf, then you'd know you matter. Then I would know. Then you would That's have the a, only way to know. Well, you make a, you make a, a very fun hearted joke, but the <laughs> fact is that, that so many people look for those staples of validation mm-hmm. like if i if i had this yeah recognition is a yeah thing. that if you know uh, then i will matter and you know why i matter because that statue is right over there on the shelf or you yeah, know why i matter proof exactly mm-hmm. like here's evidence and what's what's so amazingly difficult about being a christian is to recognize we say it all the time 
I don't know anybody who genuinely, personally, I'm sure there are people out there, but I don't know anybody who genuinely, personally believes that Jesus would have gone through everything that he did, even if it was just you. We all say it. Mm-hmm. At like everybody will say, "Oh, isn't that amusing? Amazing thing about grace is that he would have done it for just one." But I, I find myself, I'm like, "Well, maybe for Tyler, <laughs> you know, like, or you know, or, or maybe for for my dad, he's a good guy, you know, or maybe for something like that." Not for me. I mean, I'm too riddled with with sin. Mm-hmm. I'm too riddled with anger. I'm too riddled with issues. There's no way he would have done that for me. And and you know, if we could have. The, the, I love Clarence's line to to George. He says, "You've been given a great gift, George." You know that that's what all of this is. This big wake up call. This fantastical you know splash of water in the face is you get to see what the world would be like without you. Mm-hmm. And um and and it is it, it's it's an incredibly challenging thing when we live a routine life with mundane habits that don't amount to to our dreams or to our lofty goals. And I understand why people find that idea to be depressing. But in in a Christian perspective, Jesus is like, the 99, stay over here, and I'm going to go after the one. And in that mm-hmm. same respect, mm-hmm. it's that same capacity of that one has value and what that one has has value as well. Like mm-hmm. this, the servant gave the money back to the master and said, here's what belongs to you. And I think that's that's interesting that he says that. It's like here's here's your stuff back, mm-hmm. you know. And I think the master's very much saying, "Well, it, I actually wanted to see what you would do with it." Yeah. But you've only proven yourself to be lazy with it. You didn't do anything with it. You mm-hmm. just buried it, considered it uh, invaluable. And uh, yeah, it's it's a difficult thing to live out, but I think a, a really worthwhile thing if we can ever grasp hold of that. So yeah, I think that's probably a good uh, good place to end. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, by the time this goes up, Christmas is tomorrow. Um, but uh, if you have watched It's a Wonderful Life sometime this uh, this season, or if you plan on watching it tomorrow, or perhaps today, um, maybe keep this stuff in mind if you're Christian or otherwise, and just recognize that, like, you know, being insignificant as some people might consider it, like that's that is taking a very specific definition of what significance is and what matter and what mattering means. Uh, you know, and it winds up, I'll, I was telling these guys that I would probably mention this and I think I will, um, as I've mentioned in my, uh, testimony and I think on, uh, the mini about my, uh, father, uh, his whole thing was that he wanted to matter, that he wanted to make a difference. And, uh, so much so that on his, uh, on his uh, headstone, it says uh, Kevin Smith. He he made a difference. I think that's a little cheesy, but that's all right. It wasn't my decision. Um, and so, if you were to ask me now if I think he actually believes he made a difference, I don't know. I'd I'd venture to say he doesn't think he, that that he that at the end of his life he probably didn't think he made much of a difference. Um, but I but if you were to if you were to sit there at his funeral. You know, and talk to the various people from all over the country who talked about like the things that he did. Um, you you would come to realize like, oh, he actually did he actually did make a, a difference, and it's a shame that he never seemed to really know that. And then you realize, oh well, you can take that and apply it to anybody. You know, and if we had a little bit more time, and if I was feeling a little bit more adventurous, I would go to each of you individually 
on air and say, how do you want to matter? Hmm. Um, but we don't have time for that. So I will just say uh, to the listener, uh, ask that of yourself. What do you think mattering looks like? And do you think that you measure up to that? Because I would venture to say you never will. The only way that you can is when you realize that you already do matter um, to God. Enough that, yes, indeed, I'm, I, I, I totally agree with you that like the idea of oh if it was just you jesus would have died for you i'm like that's a wonderful sentiment (laughs) (laughs) that can't possibly be true right um but it is true and so we need to start acting as though it were uh if only for ourselves like because otherwise it's just like okay well because i know that for for me i tend to think like yeah god loves me but only because i fit into the larger group of people that he said he loves Mm -hmm. which is everybody and uh, that's a very depressing way to live. Oh. So, but yeah, um, so hopefully, and indeed, yes, it is, it is a wonderful life because, uh, because God loves us and Jesus died for us. And that's what this season uh, is all about. So for Christians. So, all right. That's the end of that. Enough of that. Well done. Moving on. Uh, okay. So you can now uh, to our companion. Film. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so yeah, you can go to morethanonelesson.com to read uh, various blogs, including a few by uh, by Reed here. Um, I did not mention this at the top of the show, but if you have the time, please uh, take the uh, listener feedback survey uh, and weigh in on uh, on your favorite episodes, favorite guests, that sort of thing. Uh, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can email Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. You sure can follow can. me on Twitter. Uh, at more lessons you can follow josh at the josh long. at the josh long you can follow reed at reed lackey at reed lackey so um thank you uh reed for being here once again well thank you very much for having me it's yeah. been great absolutely and josh thanks for being here thanks for braving this though i know you're a little under the weather i'm always here <laughs> okay all right fair enough um <laughs> except that rachel getting married episode but that's all right that's all right what he's what? not bitter was there an episode without me Oh, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. do my own mini sode and it's gonna be all talking about how bad that other episode is, and I'm not even gonna mention the movie. Fair enough. Um, okay, and so yes, and thank you everybody for listening. Uh, Merry Christmas. We'll get you next time.